Hi, good afternoon. Welcome back. John 9, um, 1 to 12. Shall we pray as we come to God's word? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is the word of God. Holy Spirit, give me the words to speak well of Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. John 9, and we read the first 12 verses of this very well-known chapter. John and chapter 9, the first 12 Verses, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, but that the works of God, I beg your pardon, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbours and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying is this not the man who used to sit and beg some said it is he others said no but it is like him he kept saying i am the man so they said to him then how were your eyes opened and he answered the man called jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me go to siloam and wash so i went and washed and received my sight they said to him where is he he said i do not know May the Lord bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. There are a number of ways we could look at this familiar stories, this story, and Lord willing, we'll pick some of those up in the coming weeks when we look at the rest of chapter 9. We could look this, we could see this as the sixth of the seven signs in John's Gospel. Remember the seven signs. You know, we had the water into wine, the healing of the official son the healing of the paralytic and the feeding of the 5,000, the Jesus walking on the water, then John 9, the healing of the man born blind, and then the raising of Lazarus. Well, we could see it as a unit in and of itself. It is an exquisitely ordered story. You have the miracle. Jesus disappears for a time before coming back at the end. And the intervening sections following the miracle are four conversations. You can... Um, it's probably quite straightforward. There is a discussion between the neighbours and the man born blind. And that's verses 8 through to 12. Then another, another paragraph, 13 to, sev 13 to 17. Uh, the conversation between the Pharisees uh, and the man born blind because they're hard-hearted toward Jesus. Then... 18 to 23 is another paragraph in our English translations as a conversation between the Jews and this man's parents. And then 24 to 34 between the crowd and the man himself. So you, have, you can have a miracle for conversations following which Jesus re-enters the picture. We can also look at this incident through the lenses of several important themes, faith, unbelief, the power of a changed life. And we'll get to some of those next time or in coming weeks. But I wanted to focus our attention today quite more, a little more narrowly. And 
the whole point of this sermon is really its anchor is in one Greek word. And we'll get to that in a moment. And that Greek word is in verse three. We'll come to that. First of all, notice the contra- context, the background. Uh, Jesus passes by and he sees this man who's blind from birth. And we do not know the exact time or location or how this ties into the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. The scene we've just left in chapter 8. But somewhere in this festival sequence of events, Jesus meets this man. It is suggested with some intentionality. He is a beggar and a man born blind in those days would have had little other recourse in life but to become a beggar. Perhaps Jesus wanted to take them by this particular point where they knew this man would be. Was Jesus ready to teach a lesson, to perform the miracle? Or perhaps the disciples knew where he would be and pointed him out. Or maybe Jesus, as he passed by, sees him there, draws his attention to the disciples, which prompts this question. However it happened, they go by, there is this man, the man of John 9, the man born blind. And the disciples ask the question, is a common enough question? It is the kind of question that might be asked today. It certainly was a common sort of question among first century Jews. It's a question that the rabbis would have been asking, why do bad things happen to some people and good things happen to others? It is a contemporary question. And perhaps even as believers, as Christians, we inhabit this morally mechanical universe. The bad things happen to bad people, that good things happen to good people. Heaven is a place where good people go to get the good things they deserve and hell is a bad place where bad people go to get the bad things they deserve. The default religion that so many inhabit, even though they wouldn't say so. Do you remember Job's so-called friends? Job 4 verse 7. Remember who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? What they, what Job's so-called friends were saying to Job was, Job, you're suffering Would you just get on with it? Repent of your sins. Confess your wickedness before God for the upright aren't cut off. The righteous man isn't persecuted. You must have done something wrong, Job. So the disciples asked this common enough question. And they sort of framed it. Jesus had, they had two options, if you like, for Jesus. A man born blind. Did he sin? Now, maybe they did not know that he was born blind at this point. So maybe they thought it was punishment at some point in his life. Or maybe they thought even before he was born. It is true that some of the rabbis speculated that you could sin even in the womb and affect the outcome of your birth life. So Jesus, the option they give Jesus, the first question is, was this man born blind? Or did he sin? Or more likely, Jesus, what about his parents? Surely this is a punishment for the parents to have a child like this. Because after all, we all know good parents have good, healthy, happy children. That was the, you know, the presupposition. And I don't need to tell you what errant thinking that is. The disciples are thinking a man born blind who sinned, the common question, bad things, bad people. Jesus, however, gives an uncommon answer in verse 3. Jesus answered, it's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that. The works of God might be displayed in him. To be sure, there are plenty of biblical examples that link personal sin and personal suffering. 
It isn't that the link is not present. Adam and Eve, Miriam's revolt, struck with leprosy, Korah's rebellion, swallowed up in the earth, Nadab and Abihu, unauthorized fire, struck dead, Uzar, putting his hand on the ark, is killed. 1 Corinthians 11, some are sick and some have died because they partook of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus warns, I put some of you on a sickbed until you repent. The Bible has examples, plenty of examples that we reap what we sow. But Jesus is telling us something here that we must never forget. And that is that the link between personal sin and personal suffering is never absolute. That is to say, it is not always the case. And who better, more powerfully to tell us that than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus says it is not the case that this man sinned or his parents. Now, some of us would never think to blame ourselves. It's never crossed our minds that we might be chastised by the Lord. But I'm sure there are others by upbringing, by temperament, by personality, who are very quick to assume that bad things happened because they failed God. A diagnosis, a disintegration in the family. Bad things are happening because I'm being bad. So you make two fundamental mistakes. You're too hard on yourself and you're too hard on God. Now, Ultimately, we cannot be too hard on ourselves in understanding our own depravity and sin, but we can be too hard in making the wrong connection and thinking that life works in this mechanical way. As if on Wednesday you put in obedience and on Thursday you get blessing. And on Friday, if you sin, then Saturday you get cursing. So if you're going through a season of difficulty, it is because of something that you did, you put the wrong input in, so now you're getting the wrong output. Jesus says it doesn't always work like that. Now, there are other things Jesus could have said when they asked the question, why was this man born blind? Jesus could have said we live in a fallen world, which would have been true. So while there is not a personal connection between sin and suffering all the time, there is always a cosmic connection. He, He could have said that, but that's not the point. I think in our day, if that question is asked, most people would gravitate towards an exclusively physiological explanation a physiological why was this man born blind why is this child born with a disability why is this child born with handicap why is this child born with special needs and the direction most of us go to in our minds is only physical a gene that was missing an extra chromosome there we look for an exclusively physical biological explanation now this isn't the point of the sermon at all but just as a parenthesis here there may be no bigger gap between the world of the Bible and the world we inhabit than this. Because for them, everything was spiritual, metaphysical. For us, everything is natural and physical. The world that they inhabited was a world that was animated by the spiritual. There were demons, angels, devils, spiritual realities. Where we inhabit a world where everything has a natural explanation. Everything has something to do with hardwiring, genes, biology, chemistry. Now, it's true in the first century there were elements of spiritism and animism that we now know are false, though devils and demons and angels are real. And there are things that we've learned in science and medicine and physics that are so helpful to mankind. But we must realise this gap that we tend to think that there is a material explanation for everything. Sometimes there is, but sometimes there is not. And even when there is, God will also say you can get the biological answer correct and miss the most important answer. 
Some people would have simply answered this, the disciples' question, why was this man born blind, and said no reason at all, only chance. Survival of the fittest. Evolution. Or, or a religious version of that deism. God created the world, he stepped back, and sometimes the laws of nature break down. Or perhaps the views of open theism, that God does not really know all things, he doesn't control all things, and things happen. But what does Jesus say? This is the point of the sermon. What does Jesus say? And here we get to the Greek word that I think is the anchor point definitely for the sermon and maybe the anchor point for your life. It shows up innocuously enough in English with the word that, T-H-A-T, verse 3. It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. And it's the Greek word hina. It means in order that. So that. It is a purpose clause. Jesus says not this, not that the man sinned, not that the parents sinned. He gives the answer the works of, that the works of God might be displayed in him. That is why. There may be a physiological explanation. Suffering may be connected to cosmic sin and suffering. But Jesus wants them to get this. And I want you to understand this at all. The man was born blind because God had a plan in it. And not simply that God will respond to it in order that. It does not say that God looked down from heaven and said, I'm going to turn these problems into opportunities. Turn your lemons into lemonade. It goes further back than that into God's sovereign disposal of all things. That was his plan. At the end of Genesis, after Jacob dies and all the brothers are worried that Joseph is going to turn on them in Genesis 50, 20, that, that verse, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God shaped it. God used it. God planned it from eternity past. He meant it. Joseph said his plan was that I would end up in the well and I'll be sold to traveling Ishmaelites and that Potiphar's wife would lie about me that I would end up in prison and my prison mate would forget about me I would come and there'd be a famine you would be there all of that God meant in order that God's purpose his might his works might be displayed in him and we see in verse 11 he does not even know who the man is the man called Jesus and yet even if he'd been ignorant of Jesus, even if he'd been ignorant of God's designs, now he knows for the first time in his life that this was not an accident. And this man was not born blind simply because something went wrong, but God had, had a plan and a purpose. It is a sign miracle to point people to the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, our Saviour and our Lord. Jesus goes on to, to, to explain the imagery again. He is the light of the world. Darkness is coming. And he's thinking of, of the darkness that will come upon them literally and metaphysically when he's in the tomb before the resurrection. But he says, I am light. For this man, literally, light. But he says, I'm light to all those who have the eyes to see. Night is coming for those who refuse to open their eyes. Then Jesus tells the man to go wash in the water, the pool so beautifully named sent this man is sent to it and what faith mud on your eyes you've been blind your whole life strange rabbi who cannot you can't see comes up he spits makes a mud pie puts it on your eyes and says go 
to Siloam. How does he get there? Someone must lead him. Go wash there and he goes. The man went to Siloam, maybe in a moment of desperation. What have I got to lose? Or maybe in an act of faith, if you say I will do it. Now you say that it's wonderful for the man born blind that I can see how God's power was displayed in him because he did a miracle. He healed him. I get it. Yes, he was born blind. That was God's plan so God could heal him, bring glory to Jesus and that people would believe in Jesus. Where is my miracle? And it's true, not many of us get miracles like this, but do not miss the fact you can still be a sign that's pointing people to the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. I said not many of us get miracles, but we're all miracles if you're born again and you've been transformed from darkness to light. You are dead in trespasses and sin, not just a little bit sick, now alive together with Christ. You are a miracle. If you persevere through suffering, that is a miracle. If you endure in your faith in the midst of trials and difficulties, that is God's miraculous work in your life. Most of us don't see the miracle of this sight when we were born blind, but we can be walking miracles pointing to the supremacy and the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of John 21, when, Peter, when, John, when Jesus is talking about Peter's death, the last 18 to 19 or 21, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when, we are, when you're old, you stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. The Lord said to Peter that he was going to glorify him him jesus in his death how do you glorify god in death you glorify god in death by believing all the way to the end by giving him glory to the uttermost that shows the worth of christ what is god's purpose in this man's blindness god's purpose was to provide a remarkable illustration of the gospel itself you know richard dawkins the guru atheist of the hour in his book the blind watchmaker can answer the question, well, how can this man get blind? He could give you a scientific explanation as to the cause of this man's blindness. He can't answer the question, why? Science cannot touch that. Science cannot answer that. It is only Jesus who will answer, can answer that question. Joni Erickson Tarder, the amazing testimony and she said that the book that made most sense to her, she said it in, in plenty of places, said this is Lorraine Boitner's book, The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination, which is an astonishing, it is a tough book. It doesn't get tougher than Lorraine Boitner's Reformed Doctrine of Predestination. And Joni Erickson Tarder says in the hour of her greatest agony, that is the book that comforted the most, her the most. Well, why? <laughs> why? It is simple because... She said that in the midst of her trouble, there is a purpose. There is divine purpose at work. The world isn't chaos. It's not haphazard. It's not whimsical. God's purpose is to provide an illustration of the gospel itself. But that, Hena, verse 3, not this, but that. Do you believe that God has a purpose in your life? Maybe to heal you, he can do it. Maybe to make your strength, his strength perfect in his weakness. Maybe to show the world that through you, through you, that the that though the fig tree should not blossom or fruit be on the vines, 
the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet you will rejoice in the Lord, and you will take joy in the God of your salvation. Maybe through you to be a blessing to others. Maybe through your loved ones or through your children or through your friends with special needs, you actually see more of Christ. You see more of the joy of Christ. You see more of dependence upon Christ. Maybe the purpose of your pain is to teach you something about God or teach you something about yourself. In 2017, on the Gospel Coalition website, there was a blog post from Joni Erickson Tada, I referred to a few minutes ago, and it was entitled The Reflections of the 50th Anniversary of My Diving Accident. 54 years now in a wheelchair. And there's one paragraph in that article called Joy. And I quote, The core of God's plan is to rescue me from sin and self and to keep rescuing me. The Apostle Paul calls it the gospel by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. I'm in constant need of saving. My displaced hip and sclerosis are sheepdogs that constantly snap at my heels, driving me down the road to Calvary where I die to the sins Jesus died for. Sure, I have a long way to go before I'm, I am whom God destined me to be in glory. But thankfully my paralysis keeps pushing me to strive to reach for that heavenly prize, Philippians 3.14. The process is difficult, but affliction isn't a killjoy. I don't think you could find a happier follower of Jesus than me. The more my paralysis helps me get disentangled from sin, the more joy bubbles up from within. I can't tell you how many nights I have lain in bed, unable to move, stiff with pain, and have whispered near tears, Oh Jesus, I am so happy, so very happy in you. God shares his joy on his terms only. And those terms call for us to suffer in some measure like his son. I'll gladly take it. It is amazing. You can read it and you know that she did not come to that that day after it happened or the week after or the month after. They were deep valleys and continue to be. But 54 years later, it is the Lord's work of grace in her life. And it can be the Lord's work of grace in your life. There is a saying that God whispers to us in our pleasure and shouts to us in our pain. You know, we need rest. Holidays are good. The Easter holidays are coming. And no doubt we will look back in our lives. No, we give thanks for a break and a time to relax, to read a book, to sleep in. No doubt when you look back on your life and you think of the times you grew, when God showed you, gave, showed you levels of to yourself you didn't know and heights of his character you couldn't have imagined. You will look back and will see those lessons came through trials, through suffering. Suffering stinks, it does. Physical pain, inconveniences, unknown maladies, coronaviruses, chronic illnesses, never knowing when they were going to flare up, emotional toil, wayward children, suffering hurts and it is exhausting. And when you're in the throes of it, you throw up your hands to God and say, why? I just do not get it. How is this helping me serve you more? I'm tired all the time. I cannot do what I want to do. I cannot get up and about. It would make more strength sense to give me health and strength and energy. Why? Suffering stinks, but never remove God from the equation. It didn't occur to Job, all his miserable comforters, to take 
got out of the equation. Though he slay me, he says, yet I will trust in him. Yes, the Sabaeans came and robbed him. The whirlwind came. There were all sorts of troubles. There are natural disasters. There are viruses. There are sinful people. There is murder on our streets. There is the devil. But Job knew that I can't take God out of the equation. Now that is hard. It can be hard on a theological level. It can be hard when we want to do a theodicus, a theodicus, that is to absolve God from the problem of evil and suffering. There are lots of difficulties there. But I'm telling you, and do not listen to what I have to say, but God is telling you the cost is much higher if you take God out of the equation. If you take God out of the moments of pain and think that God had nothing to do with it and God had no purpose in it. In his book, Therefore I Have Hope, Cameron Cole talks about God's promises to him in the pain of losing his son. And at one point he tells a story about a woman who was lamenting the son's death in a car accident. And as she was questioning why God did this to her, a well-meaning chaplain replied, Mom, God did not have anything to do with your son's death. To which the wailing woman replied, don't take away the only hope I have. And that is right. The Heidelberg Catechism asks, what do you understand by the providence of God? And the answer, providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Brothers and sisters, your pain is not random. Your suffering is not meaningless. Your trial is not without God's purpose and God's plan. God is making all things new. And God has a plan in your pain. And Christ ought to change everything. Scholars wrestle with why mud pies Jesus. You know, Jesus is perfectly capable of saying, open your eyes and you say, why? Why make mud? Put it there, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Why? Some people say it is an act of recreation from dust we were created and he's recreating the way his eyes ought to work. That may be. Other people say Jesus is counteracting ancient notions that the ground was dirty and polluted and the saliva was somehow accursed and God is using those things. Well, maybe, but I think there is a simpler explanation. I think this is Jesus's way of showing to us, I will take ordinary dirt, I will take ordinary water, I will take human spit and I will do something extraordinary. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. No accidents in God's universe. Jesus' way of saying nothing is the same now that I am here. He has transformed everything, even dirt, even mud flies, even saliva. Jesus can use it all. Anything and everyone can be an instrument for his glory, even a man born blind. Do you believe that there is a hina? of that somewhere in your suffering in order that suffering is made worse for us when we believe it is absolutely without purpose without end without cause without origination without redemption at the bottom of your heartache there is a hina it has to be in order that and we may not know what it is we may not know it when we see it we may not see it this side of glory but it is there hina in order that let the master touch your eyes, see what he sees, do what he tells you to do and trust him that he has a purpose, even in your pain. May the Lord use the word for his glory.
Amen.